0: So I think you know one of uh, one of the things that's important for us to think about as a church and as maybe followers of Jesus is how part of uh, our value, one of our values here at the vineyard is being culturally relevant. Um, and culturally relevance is something that uh, is important to us. and I'm, I want to talk about that just for a few minutes here. Um, you know, I've been reading this book, the Bible for most of my life. Uh, you know I started. I started actually being kind of interested in the Bible on my own without my parents making me, you know, because I grew up as a little kid memorizing Bible verses in Sunday school and things like that, but it didn't really capture my heart or my vision until I was probably around 10 or 11, where I started like, hey, this, there's some stuff in here that's pretty interesting. And, you know, by the age when I was 16, I was like, really, I was just reading the Bible all the time. And, um, and then when I was trying to figure out what to do in life, um, after I gave up on just getting rich, um, You know, that's my goal at first, but uh, I was meeting with a pastor and my pastor all through high school, uh, you know, he was like, hey, let's go fishing. And we went fishing. And as we're fishing, I was, this is my senior year or my, it was the, it was the, the end of my senior year. And I was really unsure of what to do. Um, I was planning on playing uh, ice hockey in college. And I had kind of been thinking about what, what direction to go there. And he took me out and he said, hey, have you ever thought about going and studying theology? And I was like, no. And he's like, I think you might actually really like it. So I said, all right. So I kind of thought about it a little more, and then I went to Bible college, and uh, and then I ended up going to seminary, and I did a master's in theology. And so I've spent a lot of time reading this book, and I love the Bible. Like I think the Bible is the most amazing book out there. It is absolutely uh, just mind blowing. Um, some church fathers uh, in the patristic era in the first 300 years of church used to talk about the Bible as being it's like a diamond and if you hold the diamond up to the light you can turn it and there's different facets and and different lights that come to come to your vision and I think scripture is like that the more that I study it the more that I realize that I don't know very much and the more that I'm learning about Jesus and the kingdom Um, But I think one thing that a lot of us don't realize is just how applicable Scripture is to our lives now. I think a lot of people think that this is this book that was really helpful thousands of years ago, but today it doesn't have a lot of practical application or relevance. It's not culturally relevant in today's uh, climate. But I just think that that's absolutely not true. Um, I think that the Christian faith itself is very practical um, I think it's extremely practical, in fact, and what I find really interesting is that in the New Testament, for example, uh, these, these church leaders, known as apostles, actually write letters to churches, and a lot of people think that they're the super spiritual, super spiritual uh, you know, letters that are supposed to help people um, you know, have these really high, heavenly, um, spiritual ideas, but in reality, most of the letters are very practical, and it's Paul telling churches to stop being idiots. Pretty much, like it's him saying, "Hey, you guys need to wise up and stop being mean to people, and you need to start treating each other like brothers and sisters, and you need to uh, be wise in how you do things." And he gives a lot of practical advice to them. Um, and, and so I just have this burden as a follower of Jesus. One of my burdens, and this is just me. Some people don't maybe have this strong of a burden; they feel led to be involved in other things. But I have such a burden as a follower of Jesus to help non-spiritual and non-religious people experience God and also see the relevance of Jesus in the kingdom and the relevance of scripture today. And I just think that a lot of people don't realize the gap between growing up in church and being around church people all the time and what it was like before you even knew Jesus. Because there's a huge gap, right? I mean, like if you didn't grow up in church, you don't know all the secret handshakes, right? And you don't know the Christianese things, you know? It's like you don't know these words that get thrown around around the church a lot. And so I just have a, a real passion and a real desire to help anybody in this room or anybody outside in our community who are trying to figure this out, trying to figure out what, look, what living like Jesus and following Jesus looks like and to show how it's, it is practical and it is something that we can do. And so for that reason, last week, we dived into this topic that we're talking about that I think is relevant. Uh, I did some polling. I did some... Uh, discussing with different people. And, and ever since the war started in Israel, people have been asking, what should we be doing right now? What should we be thinking about? Are we in the end times? Are we about to get nuked? Should I build a big, you know, like basement and start storing food and guns and things like that? And some of you already have been doing that. So you're just being verified in your, in your lifestyle. But other people aren't really sure how to like think about this. And so we started this this series, and we're we're kind of I think what we're seeing is that it is re- very relevant for us today. Um, and last week, we looked at a lot of scripture in this series called Israel, the Church, and the La- and the End Times, and uh, we we talked about. Uh, the topic of end times, and if you missed last week, you can listen to the podcast on online. If you go to our church app, it's kind of all over. But what we talked about last week is that the New Testament explicitly states numerous times that yes, we are in the last days. We are in the last days, and so some of you might be like, "I knew it. We should totally sell everything, and we should, you know, be so scared we're all going to get, you know, killed." But what we also discovered is that the New Testament says that, yes, we're living in the last days, but we also should have confidence and we should have hope and we should not freak out, okay? It's it's very clear about that. Um, And so we established, I think, as we looked at scriptures, that followers of Jesus can and, and should have confidence and hope as we expect God to, listen to this, as we expect God to bring things to an end So that he can bring things to a new beginning. Okay, So like all this is going to culminate in in an end time event. There is going to be a judgment. There's going to be a second coming of Jesus. But then there's good news. Jesus puts everything back together and everything becomes new. And that's the hope that we have as followers of Jesus. In fact, at the very end of Revelation, we read these words. And this is so beautiful. We read that at the very end, after all... Things have happened, the, the cataclysmic end time events have happened. It says, um, by the way, this is our, our values here uh, for the vineyard. But what we read in Revelation is, he, he, you see, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of hope. That gives me a lot of hope. Um, And here's the thing. Because of this promise and this reality, I don't think we have to live in fear. We don't have to be super worried all the time, like, oh my gosh, you know? We have a promise that no matter what happens in this life, when God brings all things in this world to an end, he ultimately makes all things new, and then he's going to actually dwell with his people forever. And that is a good good thing to be able to celebrate. Amen? And so today and next week, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about the topic of Israel and the church. And and before we do that, I think a question that people have been asking me is kind of like, who is Israel? Like you know, a lot of people who don't have maybe a church background or haven't read the Bible a whole lot, they're trying to figure out like how does Israel fit in with today and in the Bible and and all of this. So I want to just kind of think about that question for just a minute. So who is Israel? And I'm gonna I want to this morning, I want to give you the briefest snapshot of biblical history you have ever heard, okay? So if you're like, I have no idea what the Story is, I didn't grow up in church, I don't know the secret handshakes, I don't speak Christianese, I don't know how to do backflips during the music, I don't have uh, horns and, you know, tambourines and dance very well, but I want to know. That's what we're going to do right now, okay? And so I'm going to give you just a snapshot, the overview of the Old Testament. The first thing is this, God created everything, including Adam and Eve, we see that in Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2, we have, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, he creates everything. He creates uh, Adam and Eve, um, and humanity begins. And then very quickly, people rebelled against God and were stupid and started being idiots. And that is found in Genesis 3 and the rest of the Bible, okay? You, you can just go anywhere, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, we are idiots. Yep, that's true, okay? And you're laughing because it's true. Amen? <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, and then, so what then God does is he raises up patriarchs, and, and these patriarchs are, are people who God speaks to, and he teaches them how to live, he promises things to them, he says, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm, I want you to do this, you're going to help kind of, you know, teach the, the world how to do this. And um, three of the most famous patriarchs in our, our, our faith story is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, some of you might remember Sunday school, uh, Abraham, because Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them. Right? Do you guys know the song? It's like the best song ever, right? If it had a hip hop beat, a DJ on top of it, it would be fire. That's all I'm saying, okay? Um, but we have these patriarchs, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God promises to Abraham, he says, hey, I want you to leave your land, go to this other land, I want you to leave your people, and he also says, I'm going to bless those that bless you, and I'm going to actually make your descendants so numerous, and that's who the people of Israel look back to, they say our father is Abraham, Abraham is the father of, of faith, and so God promises to bless Abraham. He he promises to bless Abraham and multiply his people and to eventually give them land. And we kind of see that story. Now, so Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, okay? Jacob is uh, given a new name. His name becomes Israel. And he has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? And so you can read this all in Genesis, by the way, the whole entire story of what I'm talking about here. And so the 12 tribes of Israel go on, and that's who kind of composes and makes up the people of Israel, okay? So the people of Israel expand, and they become a great nation who sometimes keeps their covenant with God. And then sometimes they rebel against God, and they go after false gods. In fact, I think if you start reading from Exodus all through the rest of the Old Testament, what you see is there's times that the people of Israel are faithful to their God, Yahweh, and they, they follow his commandments and they worship him and they don't go after other gods and they, they do everything they can to, to honor their creator. And then what happens oftentimes is they might get a bad king um, and they'll start worshiping other gods or they'll start intermarrying with other people from other cultures who kind of subtly influence them to, to leave their faithfulness to God and then they start going after other gods. And that, that's this, this cycle, that, that pattern happens all throughout the Old Testament. It's very, very sad. In fact, one of the, one of the saddest things I, I can think of is there's a moment in the story of Israel where God just wants this people. He has this heart for the people of Israel, and he wants to be their king, and he wants them to, to follow him, and he wants them to learn um, his ways so that they can be a light to the other nations. And he, That's his desire. And, and the people of Israel say, listen... We don't want that. We want to be like all the other nations. We want to have our own king. And so God allows them to have a king. And very quickly they find out that having a king is not so great. And they have a bad king named Saul. And so, uh, so that's, that's part of the story. And then, so Israel, like I said, they want this king. And, and sometimes they have good kings and often they have bad kings. But their second king, David, David was a man after God's own heart. He loved God, and what I love about David is David is this, this kid who goes out, and he's a shepherd, and he plays songs, and he's, he's, got his little, he's got his little guitar, and he's writing these love poems, and you know, like, oh, okay, here's loving, you write love poems. It's kind of weird, but he's also the dude who slays Goliath, right? And so he proves that you can be this courageous, manly warrior while also having an intimate relationship with God. It's totally okay, Amen. So we have David and David was deeply loved by God. He's a man after God's own heart. Um, He was the one that God chose to be king and God makes this special covenant with him and says that through your lineage, through David, I am going to raise up someone in the future who is your descendant, who is going to change everything. And, And so God raises up all these prophets though along the way. There's all these prophets. In fact, our Bibles have the major prophets and the minor prophets. So some of the prophets' names are well-known, Jeremiah, Isaiah. Some of them are really sweet, like Habakkuk. Anybody ever think about naming their kid Habakkuk? No, I think you should, though. It'd be a fun conversation. So these these prophets, get they, they speak for Israel, though. They speak to Israel, I should say. They speak on behalf of God. And what they do, these prophets, is they're constantly reminding the people of Israel about God's promises. They're like waving this flag saying, "Listen, God made a covenant with us. He made a promise that if we remain faithful to him, he will bless us." What are we doing? You guys stop going after these other gods. Stop worshipping these false idols. And and the prophets constantly are saying, "Listen, one day God is going to raise up a Messiah, an anointed one who will be king, who will judge fairly, who will restore all things, who will bring the nations, who will be a light to the world, who will bring salvation, who will bring hope. It's constantly in the forefront of the prophets' um, words is that God would raise up someone who would redeem them. And and there's a strong emphasis about the non-Jewish people being invited in though. Okay, That's a really, really important part of it. So that is the briefest snapshot of biblical history you've probably ever heard, hopefully. So who is Israel? That's the question. Who is Israel? And this is how we should think about that question when it comes to Scripture. In the Bible, Israel is the people who are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who lived in the land God gave them. God made special promises. The theological word for that is covenant. Okay, covenant. He made special promises or covenants to them and promised that through them would come the Messiah, Lord, and Savior. And we know his name to be Jesus. That's right, Jesus. So I wanna talk about some of the things that we we hear and we think for a few minutes before we read this large passage of scripture and really dig in. I think there's a lot of folk theology in, in the church. In in folk theology, or sometimes I call it pop theology, it's just these ideas that are among the masses that people just assume to be true because they saw it on Facebook. Because we all know if it's on Facebook, it absolutely has to be true. If it's on Twitter, it's 100% verified. It had a blue check by it. You know, we're just positive that it's an Instagram story that it cannot be inaccurate. Or we heard it on the radio. And we all know the radio is never wrong, Ever. So there's a lot of folk theology, and I think we have to evaluate some of those things because what I'm gonna argue in a minute here is that the folk theology and the pop theology is A, not biblical, and B, I do believe it's harmful because I am a firm believer that good theology frees people, bad theology hurts people, and we have to buy into that. Ideas have consequences. Bad ideas about God and bad ideas about people hurt us And hurt the church so what do i mean by by folk theology because when it comes to israel the church and the last days there is so much of this i'm telling you right now i generally avoid talking about this because i'm like it's like people don't read their bible there's so many crazy ideas out there but this is what i mean by by folk theology uh two theologians they wrote this book called uh you know why is theology important or who needs theology and they say this Folk theology is a kind of theology that rejects critical reflection and enthusiastically embraces simplistic acceptance of an informal tradition of beliefs and practices composed mainly of cliches and legends. In other words, it's not things that are historically verifiable or well articulated or historically accurate. It's just stuff we saw on Facebook. And if it's on Facebook, it must be true. I reshared it twice. All right. So we have to think about folk theology. And here are two, two very popular, but I think very wrong ideas about the subject we're talking about, about Israel and the church. And here they are. Their first one is this. There are two different peoples of God, Israel and the church. Two different peoples of God. It's a very popular idea. And connected to that is this idea that God has a plan of salvation for Israel and he has a plan of salvation for the church and they are not the same program. Now, these two ideas I'm telling you right now are all over the place. They are rampant on the internet. They're on the radio. People say these things all the time. They are, I'm going to show you through scripture, you can destroy, these are like crazy, but so many people believe them. And all over the internet, these things are are spread. So these two views are massively influential in, in I think, certain parts of American Christianity. I want to point that out. Like, these are not very popular outside of American Christianity, which I think should tell us something, okay? Um, But they are not taught in Scripture. Rather, this is what the Bible teaches, okay? When it comes to, like, what does the actually, the Bible teach about Israel and the church? This is what I think we can say very, very clearly, is that the people of God includes both Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles means non-Jewish people who have placed their faith in Jesus. So some of you are gonna be like, well, what about Israel? They didn't know who Jesus was, okay? But in the Old Testament, what Paul says in Romans and in Galatians is he says that the people of Israel in the past before Jesus, they still are given salvation and they're justified by faith. In fact, that's one of Paul's big arguments is that the children of Abraham were people of faith. And so in Israel, people before before Jesus was born and died on the cross and was raised from the dead, the people of Israel had future faith in their Messiah, even though they didn't quite know all the details about who he was. But they knew that God was going to raise up a Messiah who would bring salvation. Does that make sense? Future faith. And so this is absolutely clear. The the people of God includes both Jews and Gentiles who have placed their faith in Jesus. Number two, there is only one path of salvation, faith in Jesus who died for our sins and rose from the dead. There are no other ways to get right with God. And I'm telling you right now, the world and we, we will do everything we can to come up with other paths because this is about mercy and grace. And not about earning it. And none of us in this room like to lean on that. It seems, it seems ridiculous. It seems like scandalous that it would be so simple as God's grace and mercy being given to us. And all that we have to do to receive salvation is to believe that Jesus died for our sins. And was raised from the dead. And so we're going to look at some scripture now. Super long passage here. But I want you to hang out because at the end of this, we're going to see, this is why we should be absolutely mind blown with the beauty of the gospel. So everything, if you're here this morning and you have made a decision to follow Jesus, this is something for us to celebrate and to, to, to be in love with and to be grateful for. And if you haven't yet made that, this is the hope that we have that you will experience. So Paul clarifies all this in Ephesians Chapter two, and we're going to start reading in verse eleven. So listen to these words. I've highlighted the things that are very relevant to these two things. Though, Paul says, don't forget that you Gentiles, everybody, Gentiles are non-Jews. Amen. Any any Gentiles in the room? Yeah. Anybody who loves bacon? All right. Just checking. Just making sure. Okay. He says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God made to them. Pause for a minute. What what Paul is talking about here is he's reflecting back on the Old Testament. He's he's mentioning these covenants and promises that God had made with the people of Israel. And he's saying that, hey, all of you folks who aren't Jewish, you were ignorant. You didn't even know about these things. You You were just doing your own thing, living your own lives, unaware that there was a creator who had entered into our story and had a plan to bring redemption and hope and salvation. Okay? He says, you Gentiles lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. For Christ Himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one one people. Not two people, right? One people when in His own body on the cross He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us he did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations he made peace between jews and gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups everybody here are you hearing this paul is saying that there used to be two groups but now those two groups have been brought together through the gospel through jesus So the idea that there's two peoples of God is absolutely contrary to the teachings of Scripture. Can I get an amen? I mean, it's like right here. I'm like, dude, it's Ephesians. All right. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. Can, Can we say that again? Our hostility... Toward each other was put to death. We, should not be host- we shouldn't have hostility towards other people groups is, is important to take away from here. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. When I think of all this, this is, this is like, this should be us, I think. Paul says, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles, As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And listen to this now. And this is God's plan. A lot of us are like, like, we want to have the mysteries of God. Oh, I just want to know God's mysteries. He's got secrets. I want to know what they are. I want to know what they are. I want to get those secrets. I want to get the depth. Paul's telling us what the mystery is right here. You want to know what the mystery of God is? It's right here. He says, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promises of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. So here's what scripture teaches, is that God raises up this people called Israel, and they have to have faith in Yahweh for salvation, just because you're Born into that community doesn't mean that you're just part of it. You still had to have faith. And that's something that happens all over the Old Testament. God's telling Israel all the time, remain faithful to me. You will be cut off. You will be rejected if you don't stay within our covenant. And then he also says, I'm also gonna reach the nations through you. And I'm going to actually raise up one who will be born a human being who will suffer a servant's death and will actually bring hope through his sacrificial death. A few years later, this guy named Jesus is born and he lives perfectly for 30 years and then he is found guilty even though he's innocent and he's sentenced to a criminal's death, is nailed upon a cross and is crucified. And we read later that he's crucified for our sins. And after that, we see very quickly that the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, which in the beginning was all uh, all Jewish people, and then rather quickly, they figure out that no, God actually has a way bigger plan than just one people group. He wants everybody. He wants everybody. And he starts bringing in people from all over the world. And then it's even better. He starts raising up people in Israel, in Jerusalem, and he sends them out to the nations to reach them for the hope, with the hope of Jesus. It is too good. Now, some of you are like, well, that's just Paul. If it's not out of the mouth of Jesus, I don't listen to it, okay? I know some of you might be thinking that. It's terrible theology, but I'm going to just lean into it for a minute. Listen to what Jesus said. John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. Pause for a minute. He's speaking to his Jewish followers. He's saying, I have sheep who are not part of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. Jesus is telling us. It's not just about the Jewish people. They will listen to my voice and there will be how many flocks? One One flock with one shepherd. Okay. So there's clearly one people of God. So when you're on the internet or you're listening to preachers and they're talking about God's program with the church and God's program with Israel, I just want to let you know that none of that's based on scripture. It's just these things that people say. It it just comes out there. And and what we see in scripture is that God actually has this plan to bring peoples together, to bring peoples together. And so a lot of the ideas that happen when it comes to, to Israel or the church or who are the people of God, or how should we respond to Israel, or what should we think about Arabs? Uh, we just have to filter all that stuff through the teachings of Scripture, and I'm telling you right now, if it's not rooted in love, it's not part of God's kingdom. I'm telling you right now, last week, what I, what I suggested is that when you look at Matthew 24, and Jesus lays out the signs, perhaps one of the most important signs, the Important clues that we need to take away is that Jesus says that in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. And that's what we see. People all over the world are are picking sides and choosing. And I'm just going to tell you right now God's heart is for all people. God loves Jewish people, God loves Palestinian people, God loves your crazy neighbor as well. He does. Why? Because He loves people. For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever, whoever, from whatever background, tribe, ethnic, political position out there. Whoever believes will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. Let's stand up. Next week, I didn't answer all the questions. Next week, I want to talk about three things. We're going to get into even more controversial stuff. We're going to answer the question, is God done with Israel? There's some people out there, God's replaced Israel with the church. Okay, There's people that think that too. We're going to answer that question. We're going to lean into, we're going to look at scripture. Is God done with Israel? We're going to talk about what is God's plan for Israel and the rest of the nations. And finally, we're going to ask this question, how can we join God's work for Israel and for the nations? We're going to lean into those three questions next week. Um, but I would love to pray. And a um, couple things. Now, if you're here this morning and you are like, man, I could really use some prayer. I'd like to talk to somebody. Um, after the service, track down um, the lady who was on the piano. Where's Jamie at? <laughs> okay. <that's>... <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> I saw an opening. I went for it, but... <clears throat> On a serious note, talk to anybody who, who maybe is up front, uh, Don or I, or, or you know anybody who looks like they might know something. They probably don't, but they might. Because <laughs> we, we, we do want to pray. I mean, I'm being serious. Like If, you, if you're like struggling with anything in, in your life, we want you to know that we, we believe that it's important for us as a community to, to, to pray for those things. But what I'd love to do right now is I'd love to pray right now for Israel, and for the Palestinian people, and for peace. I'd love to pray for peace. And it's, there's so much political stuff in this, and that's why it's, it's tough to talk about sometimes, because people's, their, their ideologies are shaped and controlled uh, by all these different narratives. And I'm just telling you right now, we saw in Scripture that God's desire is for Gentiles and Jews to be one. Amen? It doesn't say only some of the Gentiles or some of the Jews. Right? God wants all people, and and we all can agree that that innocent people dying is bad, especially if it's children, amen? And that the love of many will grow cold, and that's why we need to pray for Israel, pray for the Palestinians, pray for peace, and pray that love would so permeate our hearts that that we are motivated by that, amen? Let's pray. So Father, first of all, Lord, I pray that if if there is anything that I've, I've said today that's not... It's not in scripture, it's not right there, Lord, that you would just block those things from our minds, you would erase them, we wouldn't even think about them again. But if what we've seen is based on scripture, Lord, I pray that you would help us not just to be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word. And so in order to be doers of your word, we're gonna take a moment and we pray, God, that you would bless the people of Israel, that, Lord, right now I pray for the churches that are in Israel, I pray that you would use this moment to raise them up for all the Messianic Jewish people who believe in Yeshua as their Savior, that you would help them to reach the unreached people in Israel. And that I also pray for the Palestinians, Lord. I, I, I'm thinking now of several of people I know who are Christians in Palest- in the, amongst the Palestinian people in Gaza. Would you also give them grace and protect them and help them as they share the gospel with their neighbors? But we pray, Lord, right now for a blessing for all those people and that you would bring peace. We ask for peace in the region, God. We ask that Jesus would be glorified, that that right now, Lord, that you would have your way. And Lord, I pray for us to be known for our love. Help us as individuals to be known for being loving people, to be motivated by love, that, Lord, you would not allow us to have our love grow cold. And I pray right now, Lord, that you bless each person in this room, that anybody with any needs in this room would be met by you, Jesus. And that as we leave and, and transition from this place of being gathered together, that as we scatter into our community, Lord, that we would be a light to everybody we see, everybody we interact with, and that everybody in this room would come to know you more and more. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.